get to the reading of God's word in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. And if you're able, I would like to invite you to stand with me as we read God's word. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, Echo Church. Everybody hear me okay? Let's jump into prayer. Father, as we think today about your life-giving nutrients that you give as the vine to believers who've put their trust in you, who are the branches, God, we cannot help but feel for perhaps many of us in this room or hearing my voice, we cannot help but feel at times the dryness in our own soul. The dryness that happens in our own bones, if you will, when, when we feel at times as though the world is too much, as though the chaos of our world is too much, as though the political situation going on around us is too much, as, as though our own families are too much. And yet here we have an incredible promise from you. We have an incredible promise that you, Lord, will flow into us the life-giving joy and nutrients as a vine gives life to its branches. And so, Lord, I pray that amongst many, many things that you will do this morning, that you will give dry bones life that you will give those of us in this room that feel like we're just overwhelmed, that you will give us joy and peace and strength and grace this morning. So I pray specifically for my friends this morning that are feeling low, that are feeling down, that are feeling like, what's the next day going to bring? What's the next week going to bring? What's the next month going to bring? God, I pray for them. Encourage them, Lord. Remind them, Lord, that you are a life-giving source and that what we aim as Christians, what we aim to do is to tie in richly to the vine, that your life would flow into us, that your joy would flow into us. God, give us more of you this morning. And not just for this morning, but for the, the rest of this week and beyond, God, that we would be able to experience you and, and be filled by you regularly. So come, we pray. Fill us. 
And if we don't have need for you, or if we don't feel like we have need for you this morning, give us a sense of our need for you this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good to be with everybody. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Pastor JD. Perhaps if you're if you're listening here, my name is JD. I'm I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Echo Church, and we've been working through. Uh, we're actually coming to the end. This is our last I am statement of Jesus that we will be covering. So we've been working through this entire school year on the I am statements of Jesus. Talking about Jesus, for instance, being the bread of life, Jesus being the the way, the truth, and the life, and focusing on those statements where Jesus says, I am, and then says whatever he is. And we spend about, we've been spending about three to four weeks on each and every one of those statements so that we get context behind those statements. We get a full and rich understanding about what that statement means. And oftentimes there was attack that was coming Jesus' way because of the statements that he made, and we looked at those. Well, we find ourselves today on the last statement that we're going to be covering today together as a church. We'll spend about three to four weeks on this statement, and it is Jesus saying, I am the vine. Now, it's important to understand the context of where this is coming from. We just left off Jesus uh, just after the Last Supper. Some of you know this event in in, in the Bible, the, the supper that Jesus experienced with his disciples. Judas at that moment decides that he's going to now go out and betray Jesus, and he leaves. And Jesus is left with 11 of his disciples, his closest friends, and he then begins to sort of preach to them. It's, it's, a, it's a series of chapters in the Gospel of John, and it begins in chapter 13, and it all goes all the way through to chapter 17. And Jesus is explaining to them some of the deepest and richest teaching that he has because it's just his guys. It's just his closest friends. And it's at the moment of the very, very end of his earthly life. In just a few hours, Jesus will be arrested and he will be ultimately crucified on a cross. Just a few hours from the moment that we are in right now. And so last week, we of course had this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not last week, last week was Easter. A few weeks ago, we had the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we went into that. Well, now we're just one chapter later in the same body of teaching, Jesus says, I am the vine. And what I want to do now is I want to spend some time looking at this, one of the most important metaphors that Jesus can give, not just his disciples, but you and I this morning. One of the most important metaphors he can give is that he is the vine and we are the branches. So what I want to do is read the text just one more time. I know Jason just came up here and read it. It's good to read scripture. So let's do that one more time. Uh, I will read and let's start. Let's just look at verses one through three to start. Jesus says in John 15, one through three, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And we're going to stop right there for now. And we'll pick up with verse four in just a little bit. 
So Jesus begins this section with what we call a metaphor, right? This isn't literal. Jesus is not literally a vine and we are not literally branches. This is a metaphor. There's a picture here that Jesus is wanting to to paint. And that picture points to real life. It points to things. And so what we want to do now is look at the picture as Jesus gives it to us. And we want to identify what in this picture do we then apply to our lives today as we live life in the real world. So let's get a visual because I want to make sure we understand what we're talking about here. We're talking about a grapevine. We're talking about a particular kind of plant. Now, this would be the same as if we talked about the trunk of a tree and its branches. Okay, it would apply everything that we're applying here would apply the same, but sometimes we get tripped up by the idea of a vine and branches. So I want to make sure we understand what we're talking about here. Um, On the picture behind me, you can see a bunch of grapes and you can see a large um, sort of stem that a big, thick uh, branch that's up at the very top of your screen. That would be what they called in that day, the vine. That was it. The thick uh, trunk, if you will, of the plant. And if you notice, no grapes are attached to the trunk. Isn't that interesting? The trunk actually just supports these smaller, what Jesus calls branches, and the branches are where the fruit gets produced, okay? So it branches off. Sometimes multiple branches come off of one branch, but the idea is this. They're all pointing back. They're all coming back into what we're going to call today the vine, okay? So the vine is the thick part, and the branches are the smaller part. Now, When a vine takes nutrients out of the soil, the nutrients first flow into that main part, that thick part, okay? So when the plant takes uh, takes its nutrients, it comes into the thick part, and Jesus is calling that the vine, and then the branches are coming off of that, and the branches are receiving from the vine the nutrients, okay? And there's all kinds of science behind this, and I spent this week, you know, kind of nerding out on things like xylem and phloem and, and, you know, stuff that you probably had back in your biology class when you were in high school, but... Um, But the idea is there's this incredibly miraculous process where water is sucked up by a plant, you know, using, you know, defying gravity, water comes up from from the soil and it comes into the plant and it gives the plant with all of its nutrients in it, uh, gives the plant what it needs for life. And Jesus is going to use this very, very well-known metaphor in his day. Very well-known. Lots of people had vineyards. Lots of people knew um, what it meant to be somebody who was a vineyard owner. So he says to them, and in case it's not clear, we are the branches. Notice that it doesn't say that in verses one through three, that we actually are the branches. He says it in verse five. So just look at verse five real quick. I am the vine, you are the branches. So in case there was any need for clarification there, Jesus gives us the clarification. Now, so there's the vine, that's Jesus. There's the branches, that's us. Okay, and then there is God the Father, who is what we call in the Bible, what he says here, the vine dresser. Now, what that is, that's the farmer. That's the vineyard owner. That's the person whose responsibility it is, whether they own it or not, that's the person whose responsibility is to make sure that fruit is coming from that vine. Okay, he's the caretaker. And what does the caretaker do? The caretaker comes looking for fruit. Don't miss that point on this. 
the God, the father comes looking for fruit on the vine. Now, what is fruit? If this is a metaphor and there's fruit on that, on that vine, what is fruit then? This is important for us to understand and to come to a definition on as well. Fruit in the Bible is always, always outward, visible effects from a changed heart. Okay, so I'm going to make sure I say that one more time. Fruit in the Bible is outward, visible effects that come from a changed heart. Okay, so there's something that happened inside of you and it produces fruit. You came to trust Christ. Jesus has put his, his, his nutrients into you if you're a Christian. And out of you comes what we call fruit. So you might think of, well, that's where, you know, that's my, my life, my lifestyle, the things which flow from my life, the way I treat other people, the way I live, the way I say no to sin. All of these things which are visible to other people, that's fruit in our lives. And so the, the picture is clear now. In the first two verses, Jesus is the vine. His father is the one who comes looking for fruit. There are now two options. So just so we see that fruit is everywhere in the Bible, I just want you guys to see a couple of things here. Jesus says in Matthew 25 that the final judgment will be based upon will be, will be in, in sort of in connection to, would be the better way to say it, the fruit of loving Jesus's church. So Matthew 25, I'm not going to go into it, but at the end, at the very end, he, se- he sh- separates the sheep and the goats and, he, and they say, well, why are we separated this way? Why are we? Because you loved the least of these, my brothers, which I believe to be the church. You loved your fellow Christians. You loved your family. And because you did that, you're a sheep. Why are, why, did we, why are we goats? Why did we get separated on this side? Because you did not do those things. Wow. So outward effects in our lives are actually in some ways, the, they, they, they form, I don't want to say the basis of judgment, but in some ways they form our judgment on how we were judged. First John tells us that if we don't love one another, the love of the father is not in us. What's love for one another? Fruit. Fruit. That which comes out of me, which you can see in my life, that's fruit. Paul speaks about fruit bearing a lot. He says it in a positive sense, like what fruit bearing is. Galatians 5.22, what does he call it? The fruit of the spirit. Why? It's the fruit that the spirit produces. The fruit of the spirit is, and some of you have memorized this first, love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. He goes on, right? And he also says in 1 Corinthians 6 that those who produce bad fruit, okay, those who, or no fruit would be another way of saying it, bad fruit and no fruit, same thing, okay, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So fruit bearing if it happens in you, is something the Holy Spirit produces. And if it's not happening in you, he says that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
So this is serious. This is not like how to live a better life. This is like, wow, this is a heaven and hell issue that's at stake before us here. It's a major category in the Bible, and it is the main point here in our metaphor that we're going to be studying together. Jesus is going to tell us how fruit bearing happens. And he's also going to tell us that there will come a point where his father will come to look for fruit on the vine. And that should cause all of our ears to perk up and say, okay, okay, if he's coming to look for fruit in my life, how does fruit bearing happen? And Jesus is going to tell us. Here's the main point if you're taking notes. Stay put in Jesus so his joyful nutrients will flow through you, producing fruit. That's the point this morning. Stay put in Jesus so his joyful nutrients will flow through you, producing fruit. Now, let me just point to one thing in that statement so you understand what I mean. Why do I say joyful? What's, what's joy have to do with any of this? At the end of John 15, at the end of this metaphor where Jesus talks, the last thing Jesus says, and if you'll look with me there, chapter 15, verse 11, at the end of this metaphor, here's what he says. These things I have spoken to you. Why? Why? What's the, what's the reason, Jesus? That, so that your joy may be, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Well, he's been talking about nutrients flowing into the branches. We're the branches. He's the vine. Nutrients are flowing in. Finally, he says at least part of what those nutrients are. It's that his joy would flow into you. Christians, this is not just about obedience. I got to obey. He's going to give me the power to obey. I may not like it, but I've got to just obey. I've got to just do it. No, that's not how the Christian life works. He actually, the nutrients are joy that flow into you. And when the nutrients of joy flow into you, you feel joy. Now, don't conflate that necessarily with just happiness. Joy is deeper than happiness. Joy happens in the midst of chaos in your life. Joy happens in the midst of pain and heartache in your life. And yet there's joy deep down and a love for God, which is closely connected to joy. Those two words are closely and deeply connected with one another. What is it that's flowing into us? Joy. Joy, deep-seated happiness and love for God. That's what's coming into us. So what's the main point again? Stay put in Jesus so his joyful nutrients will flow through you, producing fruit. That's the end result, that fruit gets produced. Okay, let's look at our verses now, starting at verse 2. He sets the metaphor up in verse 1. And then in verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And here's the point. If you're taking notes, here's the sub point. As branches, we are either pruned or burned. Everybody get that from the text? Everybody see it there? I'm not making this up. We're either pruned or burned according to 
this text. One option is he comes on, he sees no fruit, he chops it off, he throws it into the fire. The other option is he comes on and he sees fruit and he says, let me help that thing, let me help that branch out, let me prune it a little bit so that it produces more fruit than it currently does. So there's two kinds of branches on that vine and cutting away would happen on that vine just like the pruning you've done in your own gardening. Anybody ever pruned roses before? Everybody pruned anything before. If you've pruned anything before, what are you doing? What's the point of pruning? Well, you cut off the branches that are soaking in nutrients in a way. They're kind of soaking in nutrients, but they're not doing anything with those nutrients. There's nothing actually coming on, usually because there's a problem with the connection between that branch and that stem or that branch and that, and that trunk. Whatever it is, you're cutting away because you're saying the problem branches we are getting rid of so that the life can flow in to the rest of the branches that are actually producing what we want to produce. I've, I've done a little bit of pruning of roses. Here's one thing I know about pruning roses. When you get done pruning roses, and you got to do this on a seat, there's a season for pruning, and then there's a season where the rose will actually produce its beautiful rose. When you're done pruning that rose, it looks almost dead. I mean, you cut away a lot of a rose, in order to get that rose to all of those nutrients to produce that flower, which in this case is kind of like fruit, to produce that flower that you want it to produce. But here's the point. You're either a, one of those branches that just gets completely cut off because there's no fruit, or you're one of those branches where there is fruit and you get pruned. No option in the Christian life for just being a branch that just hangs out and chills, is there? There's no option to just be, hey, I'm just going to be who I am and, you know, fruit's going to come from me and God's just kind of going to kind of leave me alone in my life to let me just live however I want to live. And, and, but, but I'm a Christian and so fruit's going to come out of me, but God's just going to leave me alone. There is no option in the Christian life for that. Either you're not a Christian cut off and thrown into the fire, or you are pruned. Ow! And we're going to talk about that in a minute. That doesn't feel good to be pruned as a Christian. But pruning makes the plant healthier. It cuts away the branches that are going to stunt the growth of the plant. And the goal of the vineyard farmer was fruit. That's what the vineyard farmer was looking for. The farmer needs, needs the fruit. That's the whole metaphor here. So if the goal is bearing fruit, then the options are to throw a branch into the fire that bears no fruit or to prune a branch that does bear fruit to increase the fruit-bearing ability of that branch. Now, before we get into pruning, I want you to see verse three. Verse three is a very confusing verse, and I want to make sure we understand what it means here. Jesus all of a sudden says... Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And at this point we go, what? We were just talking about a metaphor with a vine and branches and, and flowing nutrients. And all of a sudden he looks at his disciples and he says, already you're clean. Did, did you leave the metaphor, Jesus? Did you start talking about something else? Were you distracted in what you were talking about just now? And the answer is no. And the answer is, 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 is often the case that, in Greek, there's no problem here. 
<laughs> so this is an English translation problem. In Greek, there's no issue at all. In fact, I'm going to actually show you the Greek text. And not because I think you know Greek, but because I want you to actually see something that I think you can see. Let's put the Greek text up. And I want you to see how close these words are together. Okay? So over here is the English. And you've got he prunes in verse 2. And then notice you've got th verse three, already you are clean. And those, that, cor that corresponds to those two words over there. Now, if you've got good eyes and you can see it, what I hope you'll see is that those words are very, very similar to one another. In fact, when in Greek, we call that sharing, they have a root in common. They share a root. And so when Jesus says you are clean, what he says is you've been pruned. Now that makes a lot more sense, and I don't fully understand why the ESV translators decided to just change the word, because the word is the same as what he just said in verse 2. He says he prunes, he prunes those branches that are bearing fruit, and then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you've already been pruned. You get the idea here? It's not clean, it's pruned. You have been pruned, Christian, if you are in Jesus Christ. Okay? So, Jesus is explaining that pruning has already taken place. So, here's the point, if you're taking notes. As a Christian, you are already pruned, and you will continue to be pruned. Okay? So, as a Christian, there's pruning that has taken place in your life already, and then as a Christian, you will continue to be pruned until the day you die or until the day Jesus comes back. But that pruning is an ongoing thing. Do you know what this is like to be pruned, to come to Jesus in faith and then he, he prunes you? Anybody, can, can anybody testify to this? You look back on your life. You know what your life was before Jesus. You know what it looked like. You came to Jesus and this change took place in your life. Your, your previous desires seem to change. You seem to have new desires that you didn't have before you came to Jesus. Your life begins to look different. Perhaps you say no to things that you used to say yes to. Perhaps you say yes to things that you used to say no to. There are, there are, there's a life change that takes place for many Christians almost immediately after coming to Jesus. And we love these stories, right? These are, this, is, this is testimony. When somebody stands up and just says, this was my life before Jesus. Here's what happened when I came to Jesus. Now this is what my life looks like now. We love that. And we love even displaying that for those who have not put their trust in Christ. We love, I love when somebody gets to hear a testimony because they're hearing that no matter how bad I am, no matter how far away I have fallen or how dirty I feel as a person, when I come to Jesus, there is a life change that takes place inside of me. And that initial change, we might call pruning. You've been pruned at that point. I remember my own life. I've shared this perhaps with you before, but at 17 years old, I became a Christian. And at 17 years old, I had all of the, let's just call it idolatry that a 17-year-old typically has. 
I had all of the, the things that a high schooler sort of my, my dreams and my desires and my gods, if you will, were all the things that a high schooler typically has. I wanted to be liked. I really wanted friends. In fact, I wanted to be the popular kid on, on, on campus. I wasn't, but I wanted to be. I wanted girls to like me. You know, I, that was, that was a thing. 17 year old boy, man, you want girls to like you. Right. And I had a girlfriend at the time and I was like, yeah, yes, yes. I've, I've, I've attained this sort of status that is big amongst high schoolers that you've got a girlfriend and I wanted the sports. Oh, I thought, man, I thought I was something on sports. I thought I could go get an NCAA division one scholarship, you know, you know, maybe go on from there. I was, those were, that was my life. And I came to Jesus on a Wednesday night, October 13th, 2000, no, not 2000, 1997. Wednesday night, I'm in my room, I'm praying. I'm asking Jesus to come into my life. I'm, I, I'm, I'm opening up my eyes and nothing happens. I'm waiting for the fireworks or the spiritual dancing or whatever is supposed to happen. Nothing happens and I go to school the next day and I will never forget the day, friends, my girlfriend had cheated on me with my best friend. It was like a country song, right? My girlfriend had cheated on me with my best friend. My friends didn't care at all about what had just happened. They didn't care about me. It was very obvious. And within a week, I tore my ACL and my sports career just down. And I, I, all of those things, and I am looking at the Lord going, God, what are you doing? Pruning. Pruning. I gave the Lord, he was my God. And as soon as my life be sort of came into his grasp by faith, where I came to Jesus and I put my trust in him and God opened my eyes that I could see him. As soon as that happened, God began to prune me. And he says, here's idolatry in your life. And I want to pull it away and I'm going to do it lovingly, but it's going to hurt. And it hurt. Nobody likes to have their gods ripped from them. And here's what I can testify to you guys. The pruning has not stopped. It wasn't like I got pruned and then I was great. And I was just good from that point forward. I regularly over my life has ha I've had other gods peek up their, 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 their heads, kind of like that whack-a-mole game. And, and, and then something pops up in my life where I'm like, my desire just goes towards that. And God goes, whack, and he hits it and it hurts. And then at some point, another one pops up. This is pruning. But the alternative is that God sees no fruit and he cuts us off and he throws us into the fire. God, give me pruning. I, I want to bear fruit. I want to be somebody who has your life-giving nutrients flowing into me so that I can bear fruit. Here's what the author of Hebrews tells us about this pruning process. Are you ready? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture here, so get ready. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Now, when you hear discipline of the Lord, think pruning. Think pruning. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves 
and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. What's the point of discipline? That we may share his holiness. For the moment of all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, does it not? But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What does his discipline do? It yields in us the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I read this verse in Hebrews, this section in Hebrews, and I see John 15. I see the pruning that happens to the vine as things get cut away and the vine says, ow, And God says, I'm working in you something, even through the pain, even through the difficulty, I'm working something in you so that you are growing to be ever more fruit bearing as a Christian. And here the author of Hebrews is saying, when God disciplines you now, now let's, let's, let's expand that a little bit. Sometimes it's over sin in our lives and God just says, okay, you're getting a spanking. You're getting a spanking. You sinned, spanking. Sometimes it's not. So don't, 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 be, don't be so myopic on just the category of, oh, it was my sin, and then because of my sin, something bad happened. Sometimes bad things happen. And it doesn't have to do with your sin per se. It's something that God is doing to prune you, but it's painful and it hurts And I think the author of Hebrews would say the same thing about those things. Don't take those things lightly. Don't despise them. Don't waste them. Let them work in you what they're supposed to work because God is pruning you when difficult things happen. Now, we don't know why difficult things happen. We aren't able to look and say, oh, well, there's the cause. I can see it all perfectly because we're not God. But as human beings, we're called to simply endure under those things so that we're going we're gonna to trust that God has a perfect plan in the midst of them. So here's point number three. And I want you to, let's, let's first read John 15, verse four. And let's talk about now how this fruit bearing happens. Here's, here's the first command we get. Jesus says in John 15, four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. And here's point number three, if you're taking notes. Stay put by faith, despite the pruning. And by pruning, I mean hard, difficult things in your life. Don't leave Jesus. Don't pull off the vine. Let the nutrients of Jesus flow into you in the midst of the pruning so that the fruit that will ultimately result will be greater than before. 
What does Jesus mean when he says abide? This is a, a, not a word that we use very often. And I've talked about this before. Here's my definition, and I'll put it up on the screen of abiding. Abiding means the settled conviction to follow Jesus with your whole life, despite the difficulties that come your way. The word settled conviction means this. It's not a flippant thing. It's not a quick thing. It's not an I'm in while it's good. I'm out when it's bad, right? It's not a I will fare weather follow Jesus as long as he gives me what I expect him to give me. It's the settled conviction. The word actually shares a root with our English word, remain. It's the Greek word, meno. Can you hear it? Remain, meno. Okay. It also shares, the the English word is similar to our word for an abode. What is an abode? It's not a word we use very often. It's a place where you live. So to abide is to live in a place. So when Jesus says, abide in me, what he says is don't flippantly choose to follow me and then step out. Remain in me, stay put in me. By faith, come to me and don't leave. Let it be the kind of faith that holds on forever and ever and ever. And I thought that we have that we're supposed to come to Jesus by faith. Why does Jesus tell us to abide? And I think abiding requires faith. You must have a certain kind of faith in order to stay with Jesus and not leave him when things get hard. Here's how our Echo Church statement of faith puts it. I don't oftentimes do this, but I want you to read what we agree to as members. When we become members, here's here's what it says under the perseverance of the saints. We believe that such, those people, are only real believers as endured unto the end. That their persevering attachment to Christ is the grand mark which distinguishes them from superficial professors. That's the kind of person that's in for a bit. I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower, and then I'm out. It says that a special providence watches over their welfare and they are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Here's the point of all of that. If you come to Jesus with true faith, it is the kind of faith that will hold on despite the difficult times. That's the idea. Now, at this point, I can hear some of you if you're listening to me and you're, you're taking this in, saying something like this, how will I ever be able to do this? My life is a long time. How am I supposed to be able to hold on and to not let go of Jesus and to stay in and I have no idea what's going to happen in the future and I get anxiety over, this, I, over, over whether I'm going to stay in Jesus or not? And there are many Christians who live just this way. Am I going to leave him tomorrow? I don't know. And I'm anxious about that. I'm anxious about maybe whether I'm really a Christian right now because I go to church and I seem to love him and I seem to read my Bible, but I just don't know if that's actually a heartfelt decision. Any of you feel this way? Because I actually talk to you at times over coffee and, and, and there's many in this church that I know struggle with just this kind of thinking. The idea of assurance. Am I sure that I'm really in the faith? 
And to you, I want to point out something that you may have missed in this whole thing. Go back to the first command here where Jesus says, abide in me. And I want you to see it one more time. Did you notice the second part of that command? Abide in me, comma, and I in you. Chances are, if you were the kind of person that sees a command like that and you immediately get anxiety, you probably missed the second half of that command. Because Jesus isn't just saying, come on, come on, come on. Get it right. Get it right. He's saying, do you know that when you come to me by faith and you put your trust in me, it isn't just you that abides in me. It's actually me that abides in you. Now that I believe is a picture of the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. That's the way the Bible talks, in you. And the Holy Spirit gives you a power and an ability to live in a way that you never did before. So that you might even say, it's not me living anymore. It's not even me. Paul says that. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. The life that I now live, it's not me. I live by the spirit of Christ who lives in me. How do we maintain? How do we stay in? How do we actually abide? Well, it turns out that Jesus abides in us. It turns out that Jesus is in the inward, deepest recesses of our hearts. Jesus is in you when you abide in him. And this, is exp this explains why you can't do anything without abiding in Jesus because the vine is giving nutrients to the branches. It's the flow of the nutrients into your life that actually enable you not just to bear fruit in obedience, but to hold on by faith and to stay with him for the entirety of your life. If those nutrients are flowing into you, you will trust Jesus the whole of your life no matter what comes. I hope you'll rest in that. I hope you'll see that that's the way the Bible talks and that's the way the Bible argues here. A living branch, a branch with life inside of it has the nutrients from the, from the vine flowing into it and those nutrients do their job. And so some of you, you're like these, I'm gonna switch the metaphor here to trees. You're like these trees and you've got branches and you're sitting there and you're going, okay, all right, pastor, you're telling me that somebody's going to come at some point in, at the end of my life and they're going to look for fruit on me. I'm a tree. They're going to look for fruit. And I'm really nervous because I don't, I don't know if on that day when the judge comes to look for fruit on me that I'm going to bear fruit. So here's what a lot of you do. You go, you go, your trees and you're just sitting there. You're going, okay. And you're looking out at your branches, right? You're looking at the branches that you've got. These are my arms. They're branches, by the way. And you're, you're looking out and you're going, come on, get some fruit on you. And you're asking and you're pleading and you're looking at the branches and you're saying, just got to squeeze some fruit out. Just got to get some fruit going. Come on. And you're really just putting all your efforts into that fruit. Those good deeds coming out of your life. Got to be better. Got to pick myself up by my bootstraps. Got to get it right. 
when the tree, the only thing a tree does is this. It looks down at the nutrients in the soil beneath it where its roots are. And it just says, I got to get that nutrients into me. I got I to gotta soak up from the soil those nutrients. I've got to attach myself into the life-giving nutrients of that soil so that that soil's nutrients will come up into me. And then, you know what? You know what? I'm not even, I'm not even in charge of what happens next. I'm not even, it's just a, it's a cause and an effect. The cause is life-giving nutrients come into my veins. The effect is fruit. What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on, I got to do good things. I got to, I got to be the right person. I got to obey exactly as everybody tells me to obey, or I've got to draw near to Jesus. I've got to get my roots deep down into the soil of Jesus. I got to be a branch that ties deeply into that vine so that those nutrients flow into me. And then once they do, I can't even help what happens next. My heart is changed. He's pruning me and I'm receiving that pruning though it hurts with joy. And I'm receiving and seeing and feeling and experiencing the joy which flows into me, which is a love for him that is just increasing and growing. And then all of a sudden I look at my life and I go, I don't even recognize the person that I used, that I used to be because change has happened in me. And some of you might be caught in this, I know I've got to change, but I don't know how. And I'm asking you to look closely at this metaphor because the whole point of the branch is to tie into the vine. The whole point of your life is to tie into Jesus. And what will happen from your life from that point on, it just happens. And so here's a couple of points for you to take away. Christian, don't give up. Life is hard. And if you haven't experienced that life is hard yet, you're young. That's okay. But as you get older, you will experience that life is hard. And there will be times where you will think a thought, maybe if I just gave up on this it would somehow be easier. Maybe if the spiritual attack that comes my way, if I could just sort of, okay, I'm going to give in to the enemy and his attack. So maybe he'll leave me alone. And there are Christians that are tempted to do this. I have been tempted to do this at points in my life. Christian, don't give up. Life is hard, but the nutrients of grace that Jesus gives you are sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And you go, God, why am I weak? Why am I weak? Why is this weakness happening to me? Why is this chaos in my life happening to me? Because my power is made perfect in weakness. Number two, Christian, you don't grow by focusing on fruit. What do I mean by that? You don't grow by focusing on P 
purely on obedience. You grow by focusing on the source of your life-giving joy, and that is Jesus. Draw near to Jesus and obedience will happen in your life. Number three, and this is to those joining us who have not put their trust in Christ. Christianity is not about a system of rules to be followed. It is about a person who is to be worshiped. And if you come today and that's what you pick up from what I'm saying over anything else, I hope that's what you hear. We worship a person. It is that person, that person whose life gives us the ethical standards that you see of Christianity. When we talk about the ethics of Christianity, the right and the wrong of Christianity, that's secondary to the person of Jesus Christ who gives us the ability to live out that life. And many people who are outside of Christianity, they look in, they just see the rights and the wrongs and the do this and the don't do that. And here's the list of things I do in the Bible. And they totally miss Christianity. They totally miss it. We worship Jesus. He gives us the ability through the Holy Spirit to live the life that we're called to live. Let's pray. God, again, I come with those in mind who maybe have thought in the near future or the near past or the distant past, I'm ready to give in. I'm ready to quit. And I pray for those that are concerned that they're not producing fruit like they thought they would. And both, both of them just can be answered in tying into you as the source of all nutrients, tying into you and drawing near to you and loving you and letting and then your life flow out of us. And God, I pray that you would call us to that. I pray that you would call us deeper into the, to the vine this morning, that we would be the kind of people that exhibit this in our lives. And that not only would it exhibit in saying no to sin, but it would actually exhibit in a mission of calling us outward to the world around us and a boldness which comes up in us so that we can share with the joy that we have been given about who you are with others that don't know you. And so, God, would you call us to that and help us? We pray this in your name. Amen.